For over 10 years, VOC Nation has taken listeners behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. Our hosts are not only experts on the business, but have lived in the business. Subscribe and hear weekly podcasts from hosts like legendary pro wrestling journalist Bill Apter, former Impact Wrestling star Wes Briscoe, former WWE and AWA broadcaster Ken Resnick, former WWE and TNA star Shelly Martinez, former WCW star The Maestro, NWA legend The Raging Bull Manny Fernandez, and much more. VOC Nation programming is free on most major podcasting apps, including iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Radio.com. And video podcast and bonus content is available on Patreon for as low as $3 a month. What are you waiting for? Head to VOCNation.com and dig into the most comprehensive podcast network built for pro wrestling fans. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at VOC Nation Wrestling Network and follow us on Twitter at VOC Nation. Thank you for joining another edition of Bumps and Thumps, the talk of wrestling. I'm Brian Ferguson. My guest today is a former WWE magazine writer and an author and co-author of many wrestling books, including his latest, Blood and Fire, the unbelievable real-life story of the original Sheik. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my pleasure to introduce Mr. Brian R. Or, excuse me, Solomon. Thank you for coming on today. Appreciate it. Thank you, Brian. Thanks for having me. Didn't mean me. to mispronounce your last name there for a moment. That's all right. <laughs> okay, so Brian, you've written a lot of books. You you've done some writing for the WWE. Talk a little bit about how you you, you grew up. Where'd you grow up? How was your childhood? Well, um, I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, and, um, you know, that was old WWF territory even before the national expansion. So, you know, WWF is what I've always known. But, um, you know, I had some people in my family that were fans and it, it kind of got me interested from an early age. You know, my, my uncle was in theater. He was an actor and a singer. And so he was attracted to pro wrestling as performance. He thought it was entertaining, you know, so. I had him and and my grandfather was involved in boxing. So even though boxers look down on wrestling, you know, he um, he crossed paths with a lot of wrestlers in the wrestling world and things like that. So I had that. My dad was a fan going back to the Buddy Rogers days, you know. So I had a lot of background like that growing up. And, you know, and then so when I finally discovered it in the 80s, it was like something I was already familiar with. I just wasn't a fan of it yet you know right so how did you okay so college i'm assuming you went to college did you go into like journalism or some kind of writing or did you just decide to write i mean what was that kind of going for you well i i um i did try a little journalism in college i I was more of an english literature major and um you know for me, even now, like the hard journalism aspects of things in terms of like um, hard news and that sort of thing, like I, I've never been that involved with. I, I'm more of a, you know, originally fiction writing was something I was most interested in. And I just kind of fell into the world of nonfiction. But but I got my my bachelor's and my master's degree in English lit, Brooklyn College, Hunter College, both part of the city university in New York. I, and I was writing, you know, I kind of knew in college that I wanted to be a writer because, you know, I loved reading. I loved words. I loved writing from when I was a child. 
you know, so it was what I started doing right out of college. I, I started writing for a company called H.W. Wilson out of college, which was um, a reference book publisher. You know, they were very big in the education world, in the college world before the Internet, really. They, they were mm -hmm. they were a very uh, in-demand resource. At one OK. Point. Wow, that's that's pretty interesting. So I got to ask you this because I've had. Keith Elliott Greenberg on, Kenny Casanova. Have you ever done two books at the same time? <laughs> sure, I just got done with it. I mean, in terms of uh, not really writing at the same time, but, you know, because there's so much involved with a book leading yeah. up to it and then after you're done writing it. So like with The Sheik, I wrapped up the actual writing of the book in March of 2021. Okay. And then it was like a year of everything else, you know, the yeah. layout, picking photos, getting the marketing together, um, approving the whole design and proofreading and everything. So while that part was going on, yeah. I had started writing my next book, which I just finished, which yeah. is uh, called Superheroes, the history of a pop culture phenomenon from yeah. Ant-Man to Zorro. And that book, so I, uh, so I finished the Sheik manuscript in March 2021. I started the Superheroes manuscript in May 2021. So I've been working on that for over a year while also prepping Blood and Fire at the same time. And it has been kind of torturous. And I sort yeah. of that I had given myself a little more space in between. Yeah. But the, the manuscript for Superheroes is in. I sent it in last month. Good for you. And so I'm now giving myself a little breathing room and yeah. not jumping immediately into another book project. Yeah. Fortunately, I have other things going on to keep me busy. Yeah. There will be other books on the horizon, just not quite yet. Yeah, I'll tell you a quick story. Um, Kenny Casanova, I had him on probably a little, almost a year ago now, and he wrote two books simultaneously. Right. On wrestling. On wrestlers. And for me personally, I would get so confused on what was what. I can't, I couldn't do that uh, personally. So I, I admire and, and uh, applaud you guys that, that can do that. And especially for you guys, because if you're working on one project, you're finishing up, like you said, and you're working on something else simultaneously, it can be a little overwhelming. I mean, for me, anyways, I don't know. In the long run, it's something you, once you have done the work, you can be kind of grateful for it because when you have two books out in very close proximity to each other, then you have two sets of royalties coming in in very close proximity to yeah. each other. So, so that is helpful. Um, but, um, you know, other, but it, but it takes a lot of work yeah. and I don't think I would want to be doing two books at the same time again. I think, I think that was a bit much, honestly. Yeah, yeah. it's been a blur. The past couple of years have been a blur. Uh, yeah, sounds like you were busy. Well, let's talk about your podcast. I failed to mention that in the beginning. I apologize. Uh, you have a podcast called Shut Up and Wrestle. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, I've been thinking about doing a podcast for the longest time because, you know, I had a lot of experiences. I worked for WWE. I've been involved in and around the industry in this way, you know, in this interesting way. And I feel like there's a lot of people like me who are not really well known. We're not, you know, celebrities or anything, but 
um, we have been in this world and seen and done things um, that I think fans would be interested in hearing about. So that was the original idea. I was trying to get a co-host for a while. I'm like, I don't want to just talk by myself. That's a lot. And it was hard to find somebody that would be willing or that I would be interested in working with. So eventually I got the idea, well, just have it be rotating guests instead every week. And Mm -hmm. that's like you're having a co-host. And the title Shut Up and Wrestle came from a column that I wrote for WWE.com a long time ago, maybe 20 years ago when I was working there. And I had sort of been feeling around and putting word out that, hey, I want to do a podcast. Would anybody be interested in listening to something like this? And, you know, I had a, a, a history with Brian Last and Jim Cornette. And because I had been on Brian's, a couple of Brian's 605 Super Podcasts, I was on the one of the Wrestling Observer ones. And, you know, he had me on there to talk about, you know, my votes and my picks and stuff. And then I got on to talk about the Sheik book. And then Jim wanted me on because I I got him a copy of the book and he loved it. And he had him, me on his show. And we talked for like an hour and a half. And that's what got me thinking like, okay, this is the moment to strike. Like I'm I'm sort of more visible than I've been in a while. Maybe I should do my own show. This is the moment to do it. And Brian said to me, like, we'd love to have you be part of the Arcadian Vanguard network if you do it. You know, don't do it on your own. Why start from scratch and have to build a viewership like from literally nothing? I thought, well, okay. I mean, you know, he's got a great platform. How could I say no to that? I wouldn't have even presumed that he would or or anyone like him would want me on their network. Like, you know, I'm I'm kind of a modest person that way. I'm thinking, well, who who am I? I'm not, you know. I'm not Chris Jericho. I'm not Stone Cold Steve Austin or JR, you know, who who would want me? I'm not Jim Cornette. And um, he did. And it's worked out beautifully. I started in February and I've had some great guests. I've had Keith on. Keith is one of my greatest friends. Yeah. So that was easy. Yeah. I've had Rob Van Dam on, Manny Fernandez, Baby Doll, the Blue Meanie. You know, I love having writers on and people Mm -hmm. I can talk about magazines with. I've had Craig Peters, Stu Sachs. Um, Greg Oliver is going to be coming up as a guest and, and um, Bill Apter, who I yeah. love, I'm trying to, Bill is like my, my white whale. I'm trying to get Bill. Yeah. I will. I know I will, but yeah. you know, I've had Kev- Kevin McElvaney, the current editor of PWI. Yeah. So it's been that, you know, it's been so far a lot of fun and going really well. That's great. Yeah. I've had Greg Oliver on here and Bill Apter, both great guys, uh, love the business and it, it was a pleasure having them on as well as you and I, and I knew of you because I had seen you on your some of your articles in the past also and your book when it came out uh, I was interested in it and and I thought I'd reach out to you and I'm glad you responded very quickly so I was very very happy so I know we had a reschedule so thank oh you for that's comfortable see for me I'm on my own I don't have a network like you so i can i can pretty much do it when i want to and need to so that that does help for me thank you yeah it's tough you know sometimes i i yeah. have a world son and yeah. i'm especially now in the summer he's mm-hmm. home he's in the other room right now playing video games so at any moment yeah he might he might appear so you know it, it, it's tough to fit yeah. in all this stuff I, you know? well, I have four grandkids here right now my, my wife and them are in the living room trying to be quiet the best they can. So I, I totally understand. So yeah. get it. So let's talk a little bit about the book sure. that you just put out uh, a little while back. What was that like writing 
that book for you. I mean, Sheik is a was a crazy guy. Uh, uh, what was that like for you to to put that together and and and, and do that? It was intimidating because no one's no one had ever done it before. And I realized why no one had ever done it before. It's hard to research somebody that never gave an interview, never spoke publicly. You know, I had to really do like what I call archaeology and, and dig around it and mm-hmm. and figure out things like there were a couple of things I'm very grateful for as far as getting trying to get into his mind. One is there's a great book by Jim Friedman called Drawing Heat came out in the late 80s and I know Scott Teal's Crowbar Press reprinted it recently it's probably from just a prose point of view and a writing point of view is probably in my opinion the, the best wrestling book there is you know okay. and um, it's the only place where you can have the chic being directly quoted because uh, Jim was a professor and he was like you know friends with all the wrestlers and decided yeah. to write this book and he went on the road with these guys in Ontario and he spent time with Sheik in cars and hotel rooms, you know, out of character. And it was priceless, some of that stuff, but very little of that, you know, very, yeah. that, that was pretty much it as far as like direct uh, conduit into his mind. Mm-hmm. Other than that, I had to really like just divine the tea leaves and put the pieces together as best I could. Yeah. Now, um, I've heard, I've saw the reviews on it. I am going to get it. Uh I've been trying to read some other books here recently. I just finished up the truth be told by B Brian Blair. Great book. Uh, I'm reading the bruiser Brody's by Barbara Goodish right now. So I'm trying to get these caught up. So uh, I am going to get it. Uh, And I've read a lot of reviews on, uh, on Amazon and and other platforms and you've got a lot of great reviews on it. So kudos to you, my friend. I'm, I'm very happy for you. So let's talk a little bit about when you worked at WWE as a writer. What was that uh, experience like for you? Well, it was, uh, I mean, the most fun I've ever had at a job, for sure. It was kind of like a dream come true and like it would be for a lot of people. I was the kind of person where, you know, people who knew me growing up, that's what they would have said. Like, you need to work for WWE one day. And, And I did. I wound up there, which was so bizarre to me. It just felt like. Uh, a screenplay you know instead of like somebody's life like this doesn't really happen like the people that go to work there are either people that have no idea about wrestling you know or like and they just like fall into it or whatever there were a lot of people like that um but you know it was it was actually the way i got it was very ordinary found a classified ad in the new york times at the time you know it was 1999 answered the ad got interviewed a few times had to drive up to stamford from brooklyn and eventually got offered the job. Initially, I wasn't going to get it. They picked somebody ahead of me. It was for a position. It was um, copy editor for okay. the magazines and for creative services. And they picked someone else. And then they decided they needed that person needed a helper. So they picked me. I was the second choice. And then once I got my foot in the door, I just kind of started getting more and more responsibilities because they could see what I could do and they could see yeah. that I was had a lot of knowledge about the product and things. So. I guess they thought it was valuable. That's great. That's interesting. You wrote some other books too. You're about WWE legends. Uh, how was that kind of for you as far as the research? Was that a bit easier than obviously than the sheet one? Yeah, that was um, a project that I pitched while I was there. WWE legends. It started okay. out as, 
as a trading card set I thought would be cool to do. My idea was to focus on the wrestlers from the pre-national expansion era of the mm -hmm. WWF, which I thought always got short shrift because, you know, Vince McMahon, rightfully so, he takes pride in the era that he presided over and the stars that he created. And I thought, well, what if we take a look at these pre-WrestleMania people, these pre-Hulkamania people who carried the company during the territorial days, during the days that Vince's father was running the company, even going back to the Capitol wrestling days before the letters WWWF even existed, you know, back to the beginning. And uh, I was amazed they would ever even greenlight something like that, especially because back then they were a lot less history minded than they are today. Like e even the Hall of Fame was in mothballs at that time. They weren't even doing it. And so eventually it took years to get them to agree and then to do it and then to actually get it to be published. You know, I got there in February 2000. It was one of the first things I pitched and it didn't come out till 2006. So it was yeah. like this ongoing thing. But, I, but I, I'm proud of it. You know, it's kind yeah. of like a, a reference book, really. It's got like these capsule biographies in it and things. And, and um, you know, it was it was officially published by WWE. So I, that's, you know, I have that feather in my cap. That was my first uh, book. Oh, OK. Well, there you go. First book. Interesting. Now they have the uh, WWE encyclopedia. So you might have been the beginning of that. You know, that, the, yeah, that's a whole that's on a whole other level. That's a giant coffee table book. You know, my yeah, book, it is. I have it. <laughs> I have the latest yeah. one. My book was a little trade paperback. It was honestly kind of almost like a throwaway because at that time, WWE had a deal with Simon and Schuster. And part of that deal was they wanted a book every month. Oh, and so, of course, you would hear like, OK, everybody knows about the Foley books and the Rocks book and China's book and Stone Cold had a book. And OK, great. but you need more than that if you're going to do 12 books a year. So there were also yeah. a lot of books where they would be like, all right, what can we do now? Let's just, what do we got for this month? You know? And so my book was kind of one of those. It, it was, and, and, and that's the reason why it took so long. Like I wrote it in 2003. I finished it. Mm -hmm. It didn't come out till 2006 because it kept getting bumped around because it wasn't really a high priority. It was like, well, we'll save this for when we have a month where we have nothing to put out, I think. <laughs> and that's what wound up happening. It was February, 2006. So it, it just sat around for like two and a half years. Yeah. I wrote it in, well, I wrote it from June to December, 2003. So it, it, it sat around for a little over two years before okay. it actually came out. Yeah. Well, better, better late than never, right? Yes, very much. <laughs> so, Travel experiences. Did you ever travel with guys? Did you ever, when you were doing your research on some of your books, I mean, or anytime, even when you were a writer there, did you travel with these guys ever and talk to them about, I don't know, their family life or anything like that? Or Yeah, I, I was mainly in the office. You know, it was an office job in the publicationsdepartment.com, that kind of stuff. Yeah. mostly magazines. And, uh, but, you know, I wasn't on, on the road every week. I wasn't one of those people, but every few months I would go on the road because I would, you know, they would say, well, there's this, you know, we need a bunch of things. We need a bunch of interviews. A lot of the interviews would be done over the phone, honestly, most of them. But when they would say, okay, look, there's this TV run, we could send you to this, you can get a bunch of interviews. And I would do, I would do maybe like three or four of those a year, those like TV runs. And so when I did that, Yes, I'd be on the road for a week and I would be, you know, I would 
I would have those experiences, like you said, where we would sometimes I'd be traveling with the wrestlers or eating with the wrestlers or just kind of hanging out backstage and listening to stories and sharing stories. I remember Kurt Angle, you know, we used to talk about how um, he and I both were expecting children at the same time. And he had a daughter and I had a daughter. So we would always talk about that, you know, and about about uh, both of our respective daughters and what that what it was like being away from them and things like that, because you know, my, and my daughter is now, you know, going to be 21 soon and she's in college. So it's uh, that was a long time ago, but yes. Yeah. Understand. Yeah. So uh, let me ask you this uh, out of those experiences, what was one of your, besides the Kurt Angle, what are your mother, other mem- memorable experiences that you maybe have with a, another wrestler that you talked to and you just thought, man, this guy's pretty, or this person's pretty cool. Oh man. I mean, I, there's been so many, so yeah. many, uh, you know, I've talked a lot about this and about these experiences, you know, I, I, I've socialized with Ric Flair and got to hear his stories and remembrances of his career. You know, um, I still have the glass. He bought me a drink. He bought, <laughs> he <laughs> bought me, you know, uh, um, a seven and seven secret seven in a, gla- and I, and I smuggled the glass out of the bar. We were in Utica, <laughs> New York. Um, I still have it on the shelf. I've never even cleaned it. Um, <laughs> that was like 16 years ago. But, you know, things like that. I've been to Hulk Hogan's house in Florida. Um, in fact, I just wrote a story about John Cena for Pro Wrestling Illustrated. Okay. Um, because, you know, I was inspired by this 20th anniversary of Cena that they just did in the month of June. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I was there at the moment of the Cena phenomenon. You know, like, I, you know, those were my years. I remember yeah. him. He was unknown. I remember him when he was living in his parents' basement, literally living in his parents' basement in West Newbury, Massachusetts. And he was already on TV. He was the doctor of thugonomics. You know, his, <laughs> his big salary hadn't really kicked in yet. They just put him on to that first year, you know? Yeah. And, you know, um, he was involved in a lot of photo shoots we did. And so I got to know him and his humility. And, you know, I, I wrote in the story about a photo shoot we did where I was a, a moron and I forgot to arrange for catering and food for the photo shoot. <laughs> and we were at this clothing store in Bridgeport and John noticed there was a Burger King next door, you know, how embarrassing. And he's like, yeah, let's just get Burger King. So I'm sitting in a Burger King with John Cena, you know, in 2003 and um, in Bridgeport. And, but I mean, the most down to earth, modest person, and he didn't change. That's what I wrote about in the article. Cause yeah. I used to see guys that, would start out very cooperative, humble, modest, nice, down to earth. And then you would see it would change. The money would start coming in, the TV exposure, they become a very big deal. And then they would become different people. I mean, that happens and it did not happen with him. It absolutely did not. And so like those kind of things are are gratifying. Like he he was absolutely wonderful person. Yeah. So uh, you write for, um, Back in the day there, when there was a, all these other different magazines, you ever write for everybody else, like, you know, Inside Wrestling, uh, The Wrestler, anything like that? Or did you just WWE and then now Pro Wrestling Illustrated? Well, the funny thing was I used to read the London publishing magazines as a kid, you know, mm-hmm. mainly in the 90s. I, I read yeah. a lot of Pro Wrestling Illustrated, The Wrestler, Inside Wrestling, Sports Review Wrestling, all their magazines, wrestling yep. superstars. And um, 
my first instinct, even in college, when I was writing about wrestling for the college paper and for neighborhood papers, I thought I'm going to write for wrestling magazines and I would start sending clips out and I would send them to Bill Apter and Stu Sachs at Pro Wrestling Illustrated. It didn't go anywhere at the time, but it was always something in the back of my head. And, you know, and, and it's funny, I've joked with them about this since. I always thought, oh, WWF magazine, like I, that's for kids. And that's like, I don't, I'm not going to, you know, that's, you know, corny. There, It was a very kiddie magazine in that era. And I, I would send to them, but I would always think that was a rung below. And little did I understand how salaries worked and benefits and things like that. <laughs> be working for a, a giant media corporation. And so I did work, you know, when I came to work for WWE, my eyes were open in that regard. It's also the wrestling magazine. You know, people could say whatever they want about WWE magazine, but it had the highest circulation and the most read wrestling magazine probably that there ever was. And certainly, certainly for the era that it was being produced, right. I mean, it was, you know, um, and, and certainly for the era that I was there. Yeah. Um, so, you know, but I always had that thought, oh, the romantic idea like PWI. Wow, that would be so much fun. And I started doing that after I left WWE because I was mm -hmm. friends with Frank Fatucci who was a photo editor photographer at PWI and became a photo editor at WWE. And he's in fact now currently the head of the photography department at WWE. Oh, wow. He's been there for over well over 20 years. And he helped get me connected with PWI. And so starting in 2007, I would contribute occasionally. Like I do a feature here, there, uh, you know, yeah. a couple times a year or whatever. But since the pandemic, I would say since 2020 or even maybe late 2019 or around there, I've been a regular monthly part of the staff. Like I, you know, I write, um, I have two columns in there. One of them is called the lockup, which is more like a current events wrestling column. Mm -hmm. The other is called the way it was, which was very special to me, which is like a vintage retro column yeah. where we get to use the amazing photo library of Pro Wrestling Illustrated, which was my whole purpose for doing it. Yeah. And I get to do features for them, too. I just did a big feature article on Cody Rhodes and, you know, fulfilling the legacy of his father in, in WWE, the, the stuff that like he's been talking about on TV yeah. and Cody himself saw the story and enjoyed it very much, reached out to me, thanked me. I was, I was, you know, really humbled by that, but you know, I get the opportunity to do that now on a regular basis for them and uh, for PWI. I also write for inside the ropes too, which okay. um, yeah. is the UK magazine. Yeah. I mean, they, they started, I guess, uh, about has to be about two years ago. Yeah, two now. years ago. Yeah. And I jumped on by about the third or fourth issue. And they always give me, you know, I laugh. I always laugh with Dante and the editors there that they, they, they'll drop these gigantic stories in my lap. And I love to do them, but, but it's like, you know, Oh, write this 6,000 word uh, story. Uh, can you have it by next week? You know? And I'm like, wow, guys, you know what it is? It's funny. I think uh, I've talked to Keith Greenberg about this because he writes for them too. I think, I think it's, you know, uh, in the UK, First of all, I just think they're smarter than us here. <laughs> they read more than we do. I think that's just a European thing. Yeah. And so the word count in these magazines is much higher. It's, mm -hmm. you know, like for, for Inside the Ropes, it's probably double the word count per page than it might be for, say, Pro Wrestling Illustrated. So, you know, I'll be writing a story that in an American magazine would probably be a 12-page story, which yeah. is long. Yeah. <laughs> and in, but in Inside the Ropes, it'll be, um a six page story you know and uh 
but I love them. I mean, they give me, I really get these really juicy features to write. I love it. Yeah. I wrote about, you know, uh, kind of like the situation with Shane McMahon. I got to write about Triple H's weird kind of downfall. Um, excuse me. I wrote a career retrospective of Scott Hall when he passed. And I, I'm now writing a story about Vince McMahon and all these things happening with him and yeah. how it's really not uh, anything new as far as Vince McMahon. So kind of like an education for maybe newer fans, that kind of thing. But you know, I love, they know I love doing stuff like that. So yeah. they always give me stuff like that to do. And it pushes me to the limit. You know, it's like, it's a lot of work, but yeah. it's, work that, it's work that I love. So, you know, good. I'm not going to. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say, that's a lot of, a lot of work. You're working on books, you're writing articles, doing podcasts, doing podcasts. <laughs> I mean, you got a lot on your plate and you got a family and uh Yeah. I mean, kudos to you, my friend. I mean, that's that's a lot of that's a lot of work, but uh, I know out people out here they they appreciate it. Um, well, thank you. Yeah, I've they, been I've been so busy, you know. Um, I mean, after I left WWE in 2007, I've always done things with wrestling now and then, but mm. pretty much I've been made mainly focused on you know just the normal world and regular kinds yeah. of jobs. You know, I worked for in higher, I worked in higher education. I worked in, uh, I worked as a teacher for a few years in high school. I got my certification. I did all that stuff. I've worked in corporate environments. I worked for edible arrangements corporation. Um, I've worked in health, health insurance, um, oh, wow. <laughs> technology. I mean, you name it. Yeah. And, and, and it's now come like full circle yeah. where the past few years, the majority now of my working time is wrestling related. And I think some of that was because of the pandemic and yeah. having a lot more time on my hands than I wanted to have, mm -hmm. you know, where my day job was sort of cutting hours and I'm stuck in the house and I'm yeah. thinking, okay, well, I guess I could, I could focus on this other stuff now. And, and it has grown yeah. and blossomed and I'm very grateful for it because it, it just shows when you actually have the time to invest in something mm -hmm. that you can grow it and develop it. I just didn't really have as much time as I would have liked. Yeah. I'm with you. Uh, I mean, this ain't no, like you said, I know Chris Jericho or stone cold, but uh, since the pandemic uh, putting more time and, and effort into this for me, this is a great outlet for me. It, it really helps me. I love wrestling and, uh, growing and and uh, those that are watching you can see the back of the room here um i just really enjoy it and uh you know i don't think i'll be as big as jericho or austin as far as a podcaster or yourself i mean you've got quite a few uh followers there and and uh supporters but we'll get there so anyway um let's talk about when you started in wwe in 2000 to today what do you think is some of the biggest differences in in the wrestling as far as the programming, the the, the wrestling itself? What are some big differences in your mind? Well, when I started in 2000, it was the Monday Night War was still going on. Mm -hmm. So I had that and, and we it was the end of it and, and we were clearly winning it. And then it got to the age, the era where, you know, we bought the competition. We bought WCW. We bought ECW. And. 
and then you're in this environment where there is no more competition, you know, and I know TNA and Ring of Honor, they started in 2002, but I mean, and they're, they both have done great things, but everybody knows that they weren't even close to, you know, WWE's level. It was even TNA at its best was a distant number two. It was a number two, but it was a number two because there was nobody else. And, and look, I, I, that's a harsh thing, but that's, the truth yeah. it wasn't like an aew situation like you see now where right. this really is a competition this really yeah. is head-to-head kind of thing and um uh, so i think a lot of what happened while i was there was there was a fight against stagnation where they did the brand extension which i never was a fan of i just thought why are we doing this we're, we're you know no one's gonna buy this no one is really thinking raw and smackdown are two different entities that are fighting with each other i mean uh, who's going to believe that you know uh, we know it's one company not to mention when they started using that term brand i mean now it's everywhere but they started using that in 2002 and my argument was the average fan doesn't even think of this as a brand we've never sold it as a brand we've sold it as a federation a league a a a governing body almost like a sports entity that's the way it always was presented we never would say in a fan directed communication the wwf or the wwe brand that was a, a marketing term that was an insider term that was a business term and so I just thought it's watering down the product. And, uh, you know, I, I always feel like all hands on deck. You want everyone together, your best stars, your best matches, one world champion representing the company, that kind of thing. That's always been my feeling. Right. But so there were the years of that. And then there was. Um, and so now that there is a direct competition, I feel like, you know, people always said, well, uh, WWE is stagnating. They just need competition to kind of kick them in the butt and get them moving again and get them motivated. Mm-hmm. And I think now that W now that AEW is there, mm-hmm. I feel like it's been a mixed bag in that regard because there have been times where I felt like um, that's is what's happening. And I feel like that's kind of what's been happening recently, especially yeah. post WrestleMania, mm-hmm. this sense of like, okay, wow, they they've tugged on Superman's cape here now. Like this is, this is getting interesting. <laughs> yeah. But there've also been times where I've been like, oh my God, they're just laying down and dying. Like, like what happened to that fire there? They're, you know, they're getting, I understand they make way more money than AEW. They have all these revenue streams. They're not in immediate danger of being knocked from their number one perch. Right. But this is how the tide shifts, what we're seeing happening now. This is how things happen. Mm-hmm. This is how change happens. And they need to be ready. And so there have been times where I wanted to be like, wake up. This show sucks. <laughs> this is boring. <laughs> Do something, you know. Um, but I, I, I think they know what they're doing. I also think there's a lot of shakeups happening there now. Yeah. And, you know, there's there's talk of sales afoot and WWE becoming part of a media conglomerate and I think that's very likely probably to happen before the year's over. And I think that's going to change things too. You think they'll water it down? Because I know, you know, in the past, like when it's pretty watered down now. I mean, but yeah, but let's, when example back in 2000 or 99, whenever when AOL Time Warner bought WCW or bought, you know, from Turner, what happened? It kind of went, it sunk. It, it went downhill pretty, yeah. pretty bad, pretty fast. And I don't want that 
you're right. Right now, I've I've watched some WWE, and uh, it, you're right. It's a lot more watered down than it used to be, and uh, I just don't want that to do the same thing that happened to WCW. I'd hate for that because right now there is some competition, like you said, with AEW. You know, I, I've watched that some too, and uh, I think it's a good competition. Uh, let me ask you this. You know, territory era, you know, that's gone. Do you ever think, though, that there are some indies out there that are pretty good, uh, but they're not covered? Do you think some of these magazines should start covering those again? Because they used to do it. I mean, Back in the day, you know, I never heard of, unless I saw it in a magazine, Continental Championship Wrestling, you know, out of uh, uh, Tennessee, things like that. You don't see that anymore. You see AEW, the WWE, Impact, and Ring of Honor. That's about what you see in magazines. Do you think well, there that, should be more variety? Well, that's, that's really not the case with the, with the current Pro Wrestling Illustrated, actually. I have to say, one of the things that Kevin has done since taking over and every editor likes to leave their mark, but I, um, there's been a lot more coverage of Indies. There's okay. been a lot more. In fact, they recently expanded about a year ago, their world title recognition. Cause you know, with okay. PWI, there's always been that issue of who does PWI consider to be world champions. Right. Yeah. And they have been become, they've been very, very liberal in their thinking on that lately and not being as strict and being more open to um, independent wrestlers okay. and, 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 and features in the magazine on independent wrestling. Okay. Um, that has come a long way. I think if you pick up a, a recent issue of PWI, okay. you'll see that it's pretty amazing. Um, I'll be honest. I haven't read it in, Quite a few years, uh, just because it it changed a lot. I'm not saying it was bad before. It's just different now. It's a very different magazine than it used to be. Check it out for sure. Yeah, I will. Uh, Like I said, I've been running for a long time just because it just basically covered when I stopped getting it, which was quite a while ago now. It was basically WWE and uh, WCW. So that's how long it's been. Yeah. Uh, well, there's also, you know, having worked in, in magazines and wrestling magazines, you also need to sell them, right? Yeah. <laughs> so there's there's yeah. that issue. But they do a really good job of balancing it where okay. they're not going to put, you know, um, let's say Trisha Dora on the cover of the magazine. Right. Because maybe 90, 99% of mainstream fans wouldn't know who she was. But she's a great wrestler. Mm-hmm. She, she's uh, a very prominent indie wrestler. In fact, she holds... Um, the Pan-African Diaspora title, which PWI has even recognized as a world title. But they won't put her on the cover. You know, they're going to put Roman Reigns on a cover. They're going to put, you know, even uh, AEW people on the cover. Like our most recent cover has Jade Cargill and Thunder Rosa. So they're going to have people that are mainstream. Um, yeah. be- Drew McIntyre, because that's what people see. But then once you, the thinking is once you, you do that that person's carrying your magazine that person makes sure that it's grabbed at the grocery store or whatever but then on the inside it frees you up okay. to do the coverage of other people yeah <clears throat> because you know 
you've sold the magazine. So they yeah. open it up and then there's an article about Trisha Dora, let's say, yeah. and, her, and, and her, you know, career and getting people to know wrestlers like that. So like, I think that's a great strategy. It's a great. Oh, I think, yeah. See, I didn't know that you just gave me some insights. So now I might go pick one up and, and, and go read it and say, well, Brian Solomon sold me on PWI again. So there you go. All right. <laughs> All right. So one couple more questions and then we can let you go, my friend. Uh, what kind of projects are you working on? You talked about a book you just finished again, another book. What other projects are you working on? Well, um, there's nothing concrete yet as far as books, but uh, there's a few ideas that I have and a few possibilities that I have in mind. I, um, you know, um, I, I do want my next book to be wrestling related because I just did, like I said, this superheroes book, yeah. which comes yeah. out next year. Um, but I, so I have two basic ideas and I don't want to get into too much detail because I don't want someone to steal the idea. But yeah. one thing I want to do is um, speaking of magazines, no one's ever done a book like that. Something that looks at the history of wrestling magazines, the yeah. heyday of wrestling magazines. I think that could even be like a coffee table book, like an art book. The way you see people do it with comic books, you know, mm-hmm. um, and the Silver Age and the Golden Age and all that stuff. I would love to do something like that. If it becomes more of a biography thing uh, after the Sheik. I have a couple of names in mind. I don't want to say who they are because, again, I don't want it to get stolen under me. But I will say this. What I'm looking for, it's the same thing as the Sheik. These are people who are of major historical importance but have never had a book done about them. And I have two specific names in mind that that is the case for both of them. Big Big names. There's never been a book. So, but I don't know which way I'm going to go yet. So we'll see. I I think by the end of the year, I hope to have the next book at least lined up. All right. Well, on that note, sir, thank you for coming on today. I really appreciate it. Ladies and gentlemen, Brian R. Solomon, get his book out there. I'll have his description underneath the, uh, in the YouTube channel and on our podcast. Listen to his podcast. I'll have the link to that as well. Shut up and wrestle. Uh, Folks, thanks again for listening and watching. Brian, thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it, sir. Thank you, Brian. It's been a lot of fun. I could talk about this stuff all day, so I appreciate it. I appreciate you coming on. And, folks, we will talk to you soon. Thanks. Hey, this is Total Package, Lex Luger. You're listening to the VOC Nation. Don't miss out. Hey, guys, before we get started, I just wanted to read this commercial because it's an agreement that we made with a really great podcast, and I want to tell you guys all about it. Pro Wrestling Interviews, it features guests who are hot indie stars as well as the greats of the ring. Each week, you can join the amazing Velvet as well as Dr. John as they host this jam-packed hour of interviews, pro wrestling news, and entertaining guests. It's an hour you don't want to miss. Trust me, you don't want to miss it. Every Sunday... 9 p.m. Eastern. Just go to ProWrestlingInterviews.com, and it'll take you to their Facebook page where you can get the custom podcast link for that week. Don't miss a second of Pro Wrestling Interviews. That's Sunday nights, 9 Eastern, Pro Wrestling Interviews.
Com. The worldwide leader in entertainment. This is the VOC Nation Radio Network. Check out In the Room every Tuesday night at 9. Listen in. Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Brady Hicks, former WCW star Stro Maestro, Kathy Fitz, Matt Grimm. And you know Ray there too, right, Ray? We sure are, and we've got great guests like Lex Luger, AJ Styles, Kaku, and more. It's a heck of a party. Plus, I didn't get thrown off uh, buildings. And then uh, I didn't get pregnant either. Sometimes I think it gets so ridiculous. We were getting into, like, snuff film territory there. In the room. 9 p.m. Eastern on VOC Nation. Yo, this is Jerry Stags of the Nasty Boys. Yeah, Brian Knobs here. Yeah, you get ready to get nasty. Well, listen to the VOC Nation, baby. VOC Nation is one of the longest-running wrestling podcast networks. Having started way back in 2010, VOC Nation provides daily streaming shows where fans have the ability to interact with their hosts and guests via phone calls, emails, and Twitter. VOC Nation hosts include former backstage interviewer from both AWA and WWE, Ken Resnick, former WCW performer The Maestro, former Impact performer Wes Crisco, Pro Wrestling Illustrated contributor Brady Hick, and former Philadelphia radio personality Bruce Works. Archive-free content includes past interviews with huge names like Hulk Hogan, Jesse Ventura, Kurt Angle, Jimmy Hart, Ricky Steamboat, Sting, Mick Foley, Joey Styles, Howard Finkel, and so many more. Listen live at VOCNation.com and subscribe to all the podcasts by searching VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. And be sure to follow these guys on Twitter at VOCNation. Phil After has been in the pro wrestling business for over 50 years. Hey, talking here with uh, Arn Anderson. Arn, first of all, your height and weight. 6'1", 255. And now subscribers to VOC Nation Premium get exclusive access to Bill After's archived audio footage. And uh, where's your hometown? Minneapolis, Minnesota. Okay, and uh, give us something about your back. First of all, your relationship to Ole Anderson. Ole is my Subscription to VOC Nation Premium starts at just $3 a month and includes commercial-free audio and video versions of our top podcasts. Okay, we're speaking here with uh, the manager of the World Heavyweight Tag Team Champions, Tarzan Tyler and Luke Graham, and he's uh, he's sort of glowing tonight about a new prospect we haven't heard of yet. And for just $9 a month, Aptor's archives are all yours. Uh, would you tell us who this new prospect well, is? Well, I'll tell you, Bill, I've searched the world, and I finally <laughs> found a true world champion. I finally found... What's your opinion of uh, Ivan Koloff winning the title from Bruno San Martino? Well, I think, uh, I don't know what to say, but I, well, I want to say one thing. Uh, Bruno was an LA champion. Hear exclusive interviews with the greatest performers of all time. This is Bill Actor, and once again, we're speaking here with Bruno San Martino. Bruno, first of all, how did you and Bruiser lose that title to the Valiants? Well, actually, it was a, a, a very unusual loss, if you want to call it a loss. Did didn't have anything to do with this? Well, yes, but the whole thing is this, that the rules, as I always understood them, was that you, the title could only be lost by pin or, or submission, which is the same rules as uh, my title, the World War Wrestling Federation. That night, uh, it was... To sign up, it's very simple. Head to premium.vocnation.com or go to patreon.com slash vocnation. VOC Nation takes you behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. 
each and every Thursday night. Check it out. WCW star Stro Maestro takes you on a journey. It's WCW Retro. Talking old school match of the week. Talking dream matches. Taking your calls and looking back on an incredible career of acting, entertaining, and wrestling. Check it out. VOCNation.com. WCW Retro. Be sure to call in Thursday nights, 9 Eastern, on the VOC Nation Radio Network. This is Matt Hardy, and you are listening to the VOC Nation. 